Hey, 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 friends. Welcome back to Thriving Thoughts. I'm your host, Dr. Sherry. Trusting and triggered. Those are the two words that stuck with me today for my conversation with my new friend, Kelly Bro who suffered some serious, devastating grief experiences, having lost two living children and one unborn child. I'm floored by Kelly's resilience, by her perseverance, by her desire to trust. And what I really love is her personal intimate story of finding her own story in the story of Jesus. So I invite you to listen to her heart today, and I think this is particularly relevant. She lost one of her children to the H1N1 virus, and that's relevant right now, right, y'all? I mean, Kelly's, one of her worst fears was imagined with losing her daughter to a, a disease that was transmitted easily, and we're in that situation again. So I think this is really relevant. I'm so grateful to Kelly for sharing her heart and uh, just inviting you into her pain, inviting you not just into her pain, but into her resurrection story. So would you lean in and listen closely and be encouraged and inspired? And hey, share this episode with a friend that might be going through some grieving right now. Here's my friend, Kelly Bro of Redbird Ministries. (laughs) What do you want to start with? Where'd you get that chair? That's what I want to start with. (laughs) Uh, well, the girl that helped me design my house, uh, I purchased it from her. Shout out to my friend, Chrissy Green with Elvis and Decor. (laughs) Okay. That's lovely. It is. It's like, um, it fits right in with like the culture of where you are. And I got to tell you, by the way, I love your accent. I know you're going to say you don't have one, but you do. (laughs) Right. And we all do. You have Um, one too. (laughs) I know. I know. And, um, and that's great. That's what I love is because, you know, we get so wrapped up in our own little worlds, but I spent a year in Baton Rouge, um, doing my pre-doctoral internship at Louisiana State University. Go Tigers. Um, when they actually won the mm-hmm. last championship, I was there in 2007, 2008. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it was super cool because the band, the marching band, like practiced their field was mm-hmm. like right outside of the student health center. Mm-hmm. And so when they would practice, oh my gosh, I'd be in my office, like just getting amped. Like it was really <laughs> cool. Yeah. There's, anyway. no, there's no tailgating like LSU tailgating. If there anyone- is not. If oh anyone's my tailgating, you have to go to Death Valley. It's the best. <laughs> it's, it's incredible. The energy. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is is a culture shock for me. But anyway, I, I um, <laughs> it really was. Um, but yeah, several like, I just, uh, that was one of the fondest years of my life spending there. I think you people down there are terrific. And this is like, I think you're like the second person that I've run into lately that has this common history, uh, but yours is present of Louisiana. So glad to have you on the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, absolutely. So tell (laughs) us what you're doing today in this quarantine world. Oh, I'm a homeschooling mom today. Yeah. (laughs) How many kids do you have, Kelly? Well, we have one on earth and we have three in heaven. Okay. So I, um, 
not by choice. Um, I also suffer from secondary infertility. So mm. it's been nine years since I've been able to get pregnant. So, oh my just, goodness. Yes. So, so wait, 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 wait. I just want to um, back you up for a second because I don't know, and I'm sure our listeners don't know, Kelly, what is secondary infertility? So what happens is sometimes uh, when women get pregnant and they have a baby and then they can't get pregnant again. So we call it like secondary infertility. That might not even be a technical term, but that's what I call it. Okay. Um, All right. I think, I think it is, but uh, I haven't gone and looked that up. But um, I know for um, for me, um, we had we had issues getting pregnant for that. We delivered a set of twins in 2005. So that's part of my, my story. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had trouble getting pregnant for them. So it took okay. us. Yeah, it took us almost four years to get pregnant for the twins. And mm-hmm. we um, we did do um, fertility shots to be able to get pregnant for them. OK, wow. Yeah. So, and then, um, since let's see, I had my miscarriage in 2012 Mm -hmm. and I haven't been able to get pregnant again. So, okay. And so are you continuing to try? Well, yeah, every day. (laughs) 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 All right. Yeah. It took a little while and I'll, I'll tell you my story and why, but it took us a little while to be open to life again. Um, and I say open, like, um, unafraid that if I get pregnant that I would lose again because that was my story um in 2005 when we delivered Emma and Talon my placenta abrupted I was only 28 weeks pregnant at the time and um Mm. they had to they had to take them both um thankfully by the grace of God that I was actually at the hospital um and it didn't dawn on me till much later um the fact that I could have died too because, mm. you know, I was bleeding and I didn't yeah. know. Yeah. Um, so uh, let's see how that journey began. So <laughs> I delivered the twins. I um, At 28 weeks. At 28 weeks. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I didn't, like I said, I just kind of didn't know what was going on. I never had a child before. Um this was my first pregnancy. I kind of just like entered this delivery thinking what I was going through, not with this placental abruption that was scary, but the way that I was recovering after, um, feeling that it was, I guess the normal way, um, that childbirth was like, I had nothing to compare it to. Um, I was very, you know, like though it like emotionally, mentally, like in your gut, did you have that intuitive sense that something was not right? I was very tired and like, just, um, yeah, like my, like my memory, like I could not concentrate, like Mm. just, I couldn't remember what people were telling me at the time I was in the hospital for about five days. So in and out of that, uh, consciousness, I think it would really what it was. Um, but it probably had to do a lot of, a lot to do with the blood loss that Mm -hmm. um, I was experiencing. Mm -hmm. Um, but I couldn't remember like what the nurse or the doctor would tell me. And I remember like when Ron and I were, um, we were writing our story and uh, I was writing my book and trying to go back and to remember all of these memories. I, I, they just, I lost them. I don't Mm. have them. Um, but during this time that we were in the hospital, there was a lot of things that happened, transpired, Mm -hmm. transpired, um, 
rather quickly. Um, the next morning, the doctor walked into our room, the neonatologist, and told us that Talon, our son, had all the markers for a congenital defect, and they were almost certain that it was Down syndrome. Mm. At 25 years old, the odds of having a baby with Down syndrome are very, very rare. Yeah, um, for sure. We did not have any um, abnormalities or genetic disorders on either one of Ryan and I's sides. So um, we answered all the questions. Um, they still weren't you know, certain that that was his diagnosis, but um, later we found out that it was. And this was kind of surprising to us because at 17 weeks, we did actually have a doctor that told us that one of the babies had a genetic, um, had markers for a genetic disorder and they wanted to do further testing. Okay. But with, with further testing comes complications. So we had opted sure. for that. Yep. But I was pregnant for a boy and I was pregnant for a girl. So there was no way of mistaking the babies in a diagnosis like this. Um, they okay. actually told us that it was Emma that had the markers and Talon was fine. So they were really okay. trying to determine if Emma had the ge genetic disorder. Mm -hmm. So the next morning when the doctor comes in my room, first I had suspected that he would be coming to tell me something about Emma. So when he told me it was Talon, I really mm -hmm. didn't know what to say. I didn't know how to process that information. Because you had and kind of already prepared for a different outcome scenario. or a different response. Yeah. Yeah. And the doctor, our, our, um, our high risk doctor, he actually told me that, uh, I think, um, that in 20 years, he's never misdiagnosed, um, a baby in utero, um, mm. the opposite, you know, mm -hmm. um, that's never happened to him, um, where one baby had markers and one baby didn't. And it was actually the baby that didn't have the markers that had the genetic disorder and the baby that did was born perfectly healthy. Mm. So this was all news to me. Like I said, first pregnancy, don't know what to expect. You know, everyone's just throwing all this information out at once. Um, trying to process really grieving the grieving the loss of my son before he actually passed away because of a life that I had envisioned for my son, you know. Mm. Now so, when you say that, when you say that as a mom, the life you had envisioned for your son, mm -hmm. what what do you mean by that? Yeah. So, um, you know, with any type of gen gen genetic disorder, um, you just don't know what to expect. You don't know where the limitations are going to be. You know, there's going to be some, but you don't know, you know, what it is. And so yeah. it wasn't necessarily that I didn't think that I could love the baby, you yeah. know, that I could love Talon. It was just, I was just so afraid. Yeah. And, um, not knowing was so scary. Um, very type A personality. So yeah. planning out my life <laughs> is, um, you know, I find it, I find it really fascinating. I, um, how when we are not wired a certain way, we're presented with opportunities to handle things that require or would seemingly require to be wired a different way. <laughs> 
you know, like to the, I mean, to the complex and serious is what we're talking about, but to the simple of, you know, I just don't have patience on the road. So why do I run into traffic all the time? Right. You know, Absolutely. Like, yeah, go ahead. Well, it's moments to grow. God always yes. gives us opportunities right. to become holier. <laughs> yes. Um, you got that right. <laughs> So, um, so during this time, just like there was just a lot of uncertainty and, um, I was very scared and, um, I tell everybody this, like looking back at that, cause I'm looking now I'm looking at my life as a 40 year old, but I was only 25 at the time. Mm-hmm. I was still a child, you know, in my eyes of what I know now to what I was going through. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, I just have so many more life experiences, but, um, at the time, um, my faith really was surface level. Um, mm-hmm. although I knew who God was, um, I was more, I would say at a level that I wanted to do what I wanted to do and I wanted to make my plans and like, God, like, yes. you do this. <laughs> right. And, um, it was very naive and I, and I know that now, um, but it caused, I think more heartache for me and more layers that mm-hmm. I'm having to unpack, you know, in, um, in my journey. Yeah. Um, but going back to the story with talents, I don't get y'all totally confused about what yeah. happened. Yeah. <laughs> so on day 10, we actually got a confirmed diagnosis that he did have trisomy, uh, 21. And, okay. Um, so with that confirmation, it, we started to plan what this was going to look like, but, um, it was very short lived the plan because on day 13, we found out he had an infection and on day 15, um, I entered the NICU and the nurse, um, asked me to call Ryan and we were told that he would not make the night. Hmm. Um, during this period, I think I arrived at the NICU around 10 or 11 AM. I'm still very foggy with my memory. Um, but around 10 PM that night is when he died. So for about 12 hours, um, having to watch him die in front of our eyes was um, just one of the most darkest 12 hours of my life. Yeah. Uh, were you able to touch him? I, we could touch him. We could hold his hand. Um, we couldn't hold him um, mm. until after he passed. Um, it was, it was very, very hard just to mm-hmm. sit there and be powerless. Completely powerless. Yeah. And, you know, where we had depended so much on the nurses and the doctors to um, care for him and to, you know, we just had confidence that in their ability and to um, just kind of watch that all fade away mm-hmm. and no one could, no one could help. Mm-mm. And it was the first time in my life that day that I really had a chasm in my faith um, where I was telling you that my faith was very su- surface level. Mm-hmm. I kind of thought of God as like, um, I would say like a fictional character, like, yeah. you know, you rub, you rub the lamp and the genie comes out like any grant you wish or like the man God. upstairs. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I just, I know that my view now of God was very jaded. Like I didn't know God for who he was. I just, you know, I think, um, my family was, uh, they did the best that they could, but they also were uneducated with, Mm -hmm. you know, with the, the love of the father. And, um, 
I brought that into my marriage also. Okay. And, um, I just really, I I didn't, it wasn't that I didn't believe in God. And I tell this for everyone because, um, that wasn't the issue. I always believed that God existed, but I was mad at him. Like, why didn't you save my son? Like you saved Jairus's daughter. Why was I not worthy to get this miracle? Like, why didn't I, why wasn't I worthy to receive this mercy? Mm. And it just really, it, um, it began my journey of just anger towards him. Well, can I, let me ask you something. If if I could, Kelly, I'd love for you to dive into that a little bit deeper because there are a number of women who I know listen to this podcast that I've heard from that, um, that are angry, that Mm -hmm. are not were that are (laughs) right. Angry with God. And, um, I think, one of the things that I've seen is how that I, I loved what you said, shared some of those thoughts, because I think that's going to resonate with some of the women listening that when you said, am I not, am I not worthy of this blessing or am I not deserving of this? You know, why did this happen to me? What's wrong with me? What does that say about me? Um, can you dive into that a little bit and how that connects with like how that ends up living outside of you too? Okay. Yeah. So, um, I would have to say that because I didn't understand, um, God's love for me, I was not able to see it in my suffering. It was so, it was so easy to just like when you're cruising through life to never, ever question God's love for you. Um, but when that happened, it was the only question that I had, you Mm. know, I felt so much guilt. Um, like what did I do wrong? I felt so much shame. Um, because I, Mm. you know, because like as Christians, because, you know, we are supposed to not to be afraid. And I, and I say this lightly because we are, we are human, but we're, because we know the resurrection story, we, we want to box that up and put it at the top of a shelf and cruise to Easter Sunday. But (laughs) it's true. But um, it's not like Jesus shows us, he shows us how to, he shows us how to love. He shows us also how to die and and suffer and suffer and to not, and to not be afraid of that. But I didn't, I didn't understand it. And I didn't, I didn't know what that meant for me. And so all I saw the cross as was the crucifixion. Yeah. I never saw the cross as love. Yeah. I never saw that. And um so you saw the crucifixion as punishment? Yeah, I did. Mm. And I felt that that was my that was my crucifixion um and I mm. I often share this um with my families whenever a woman goes to have a C-section, um they lay you in the cruciform so on the table and they really, they strap down your arms mm-hmm. and looking back at that day, um, I felt like I was on the cross and I was, I was trying to take myself off the cross. Um, yeah. and I think we do, we try to do that a lot. We try mm-hmm. to remove ourselves off the cross. Um, but it wasn't until I learned how to embrace the cross mm-hmm. and embrace Jesus' suffering as, you know, as well, that I was, finally able to see 
the cross as not the crucifixion, but as the way that God redeemed suffering. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. He redeemed, mm-hmm. yeah, he redeemed it because he loved us. And so, so let me, can I, let me ask you a couple of questions because, and these are just questions, not that I want an official expert answer to, or that the listeners would want an official expert answer to, but I think just for the sake of having conversation, I think one of the reasons that I have conversations with women like you on this podcast is to talk about things that a lot of us don't talk about. Right. So, so I just, two things come to mind that I want to ask you for the sake of discussion and not to derail you from your story, but I think they're relevant to your story. Um, so if, if a lot of people say, why is there suffering in the world? Like if Jesus suffered, if Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice, if he took our suffering, why are we still suffering? Um, and you may have had that question for yourself at one point. So I wonder if you can just share what your perspective is on that. Yeah. So Jesus came to not to eliminate suffering. He came to transform it. He came to redeem it. Um, and I just, for me, understanding what that meant, mm-hmm. um, and embracing that, like, this is not a punishment, like God is not punishing mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. Um, but he will allow good to come out of it. And it's for God's glory. It's for Christ's glory. It's, um, it's not a punishment. Yeah. Um, but I thought that for a long time. I did. What caused you to make that shift from, because I think, I think that's where a lot of people are when bad things happen. Like, what did I do wrong? Like, you know, this is, a, this is punishment. This is, I'm paying my dues because yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't good enough or I didn't love God enough or whatever it is. Yeah. So I am very stubborn and very proud. <laughs> so basically it just was a, um, just a series of events that brought me really to my knees. Like I felt like the carpet had pulled out, um, from me. Um, we lost Talon a little bit later. Um, Emma contracted the H1N1 in 2009 when that, uh, Oh my goodness. Ran through the, um, the United States. She was almost four years old. She was one month uh, shy for her fourth birthday and she passed away. Mm. And then I miscarried in 2012, and then I lost my mother in 2015. So really, just as um, I was, I think, on the verge of a revelation, um, a suf- another suffering would come. Um, but that is my mom's death, really. Um, it was just, it was the, just felt like the icing on the cake. Like I just had been through so much, and I just couldn't bear it all. Like how much can one person take? Yeah. yeah. And, um, uh, that year, 2015 is when my mom passed away. And, um, I just really was in a dark, a dark place. Um, I had gotten back out in society after Talon and Emma pa- had passed. Um, but I wasn't thriving. I was yeah. basically, I was swimming in the deep end. I was mm-hmm. just paddling my way, doggy paddling to try to stay above water. Suffering. Then, yeah. Suffering. Yeah. And, um, uh, April 25th of 2016, my good friend, Misty and her daughter, Isley were hit head on a drunk driver, hit them. And my friend's 10 year old daughter, um, was killed. Mm. Um, 
And I went to Misty with the assumption that I was going to walk with her through her grief journey because I had, you know, I had done it multiple times. At the, um, right. At this point, I mean, you know, not to not yeah. to make light of it, but you're a pro at this point. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Unfortunately, like I know how to do a funeral. Right. And um, I, I went with this idea and it was a misconception really, but uh, that I was going to journey with Misty. And what I quickly found was that she was not grieving the same way as, as I I was, mm-hmm. um, I was emotional. I, um, you know, I could, if not many people could see that the ugly, because I could hide it pretty well, but ask my husband what he saw, <laughs> you know, whenever well, I was in can you, what, what would have we seen if we saw it? Because I think that there is a lot of judgment. There's a lot of lies around, you know, how you're supposed to grieve, what that's supposed to look like. If you're doing it this way, then you must be doing it wrong and that's not healthy for you. And there's, there's just so much judgment behind it. So what did that look like for you? Absolutely. I felt, um, I felt the, the eyes looking at me. So I would hide my pain. And at night when I would get in the bathtub, because you can ugly cry in there and quickly wash off the makeup and no one knows what happened and go lay in bed with your husband and, you know, just, um, Unload the old everything. shower cry trick. Oh yeah. yeah. Nobody knows. Yeah, nobody knows. And so I would I was so many people miss um understood me because I was hiding everything. Um, well, and not only misunderstanding you, Kelly, but how you know, here's the truth that I I want to highlight is that if we are hiding our grieving, if we're hiding our suffering, then there's no way that we can expect people to know how to help us through that. Oh yeah. Right. Right. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've told people I'm okay when they were calling to check on me because, you know, certain people who really knew me well could pick up. There was something going on. And, you know, no matter what Ron and I were arguing about, it never really was about what we were arguing about. It was always about this grief that neither one of us wanted to face. Yeah. Um, and it really caused a wedge in our marriage because Ryan was not emoting his grief the same way as I was. And um, so then I felt shamed by him because he, you know, was able to go back to work. He was able to play with Estelle and I was um, a mess. I couldn't well, do it's, anything. It's interesting that you label it that way, that he mm-hmm. was able, like to me, the truth of that is he chose to, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And 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 you chose to respond the way that you chose to respond. And there's no there's no judgment in either of those. Mm-hmm. But I think recognizing that um, I think it's important to not judge the way you're responding to grief or the way yeah. that somebody else is responding to grief. Well, I judged it all. <laughs> I did. I did it all wrong. And I say that because like, I just want to help people to understand what uh, ways that could help them. Yeah. 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 But uh, yeah, I I mean, I did like, I chose, um, I chose the, the toxic path. Um, 
And it almost destroyed my marriage, not to the point where Ron and I were ever talking about divorce, but it was just not, it was not a peaceful situation. Yeah. It was, um, I don't think either one of us was truly happy, mm-hmm. but we never stopped loving each other. And sure. so that was the glue that was holding us together is that we truly loved each other, but we did not know how to grieve together. Yeah. Um, and that was, I think the, the, the key the key to everything was understanding what happened to us. And um, I tell you, my friend Misty, um, for the first time, when some, when she asked me um, to come back to my faith, I didn't feel judged because she was asking as a mother of loss. Yeah. And not as, you know, just someone trying to put a Band-Aid on me. Yeah. And, um, somebody that you felt like you could truly connect with and resonate with. Yeah. Yeah. And she, um, she asked me to, if I would consider to make my Crisio. Um, and so Crisio is, is basically like a three day walk with the Holy spirit. Mm -hmm. And, um, she had went right after Isley. I thought like she was going to be angry and all this. And she didn't, she, to me, Misty imitated the blessed mother that stood at the foot of the cross and never left Jesus's side. Mm-hmm. And here I was running. I was running away and I could not embrace the cross. Mm-hmm. Um, and she taught me how to stay yeah. and to never, uh, never forget what uh, Jesus did for us. Mm-hmm. And um, I accepted Misty's invitation, not immediately because remember I'm parkhead and stubborn. <laughs> I gave her. <laughs> An excuse first. Uh, she said, uh, no, I told her um, we're Catholic. And so I told her, I was like, I didn't make my confirmation. And she's like, well, you can make Crisio and not make your confirmation. I was like, no, but I'm pretty sure that I need to do that first. Yeah. And, and so I had another friend. Her name was Shandy. And she had made Crisio and had not made her confirmation who sold me out and told me exactly what uh, Missy had said. She was like, you can make your cursio. She said, but if you are serious about making your confirmation, I'll do it with you. So it wasn't telling me what to do because that to me is still trying to fix me. She said, let's do this together. Nice. And that was different because everyone else had told me what I could do to fix myself, but they were never willing to go into that trench and um, to help me climb out of it. Yeah. Yeah. So let me, I want to, I want to ask you, Kelly, about something that you said when you said my husband and I hadn't learned how to grieve together. So my question is, um, I, I think of that an all too common reason that we stuff down our grief or don't grieve or don't walk through that process is because we don't have somebody to walk through that process with us. And, you know, you, you had uh, Missy years later, but how, you know, what was the process? What did that look like for you and your husband um, to learn how to grieve together? So it really just came like organically through conversation. So um, after, um, Chrissia, well, at Chrissia, I met the real person of Jesus Christ and he healed my heart. Mm. And I was, I felt like I was on the road to Emmaus and he just illuminated my mind and Mm. opened it to scripture. Like whereas before I was closed off yeah, and I was unable to see. And, um, Mm. Ron, Ron and I, um, 
like I said, we were surviving, uh, but not thriving. Mm-hmm. But after that experience, uh, after I went to Crisio, he went and he met the person of Jesus Christ. And we sat on our patio one day and we actually talked about what happened. Mm. And for three hours, we sat and cried and he actually cried and talked about mm. it, which had never been willing to talk about it before. Yeah. And um, we, we just mm. assumed so many things about what the other person was thinking. Yes, yes. And just never asked. Yeah. Well, you know, and so I'm picturing you guys, I don't even know what your husband looks like. So, <laughs> so he's just a figure at this point, but I'm picturing you guys sitting on this patio and um, like, to me, that's the picture of redemption from suffering. Yes. I mean, it's not just that you guys individually were made whole were redeemed individually, but together. Yes. Your love for each other, your marriage, your union was redeemed in those moments. Yes. Yes. We had no idea when we said I, I do, um, what was going to come, you know, our, our idea of our vows, um, they were not what happened. Yeah. And that was understanding, you know, what marriage really is and the covenant and, you know, how three really is to get married. You know, you have to have, you know, you have to have God at the top. Right. We're both centered on Christ. The closer you, you get to Christ, the closer you are to each other. Right. And, um, yeah, he really, he, he healed our marriage as well because for so long it was, you know, I wasn't just mad at God. I was married at, mad at the world. I was mad at everybody. Anybody right. who, you know, had something that I, that I wanted or that yeah. I had lost that, yeah. um, it was just, it was just toxic really. Yeah. And understand. Oh, I'm sorry. Go. No, no. I, I, I just, I want to ask you a question. I mean, particularly relevant to this time and thinking about, um, you know, how we are traumatized by our grief experiences. Um, and that it, like, you never get over anything, mm-hmm. right? Like grieving is a lifelong process. It changes, it morphs, right? But we don't ever forget. We don't ever, sometimes when we least expect it, th- memories and things come up that make that like fresh wave of, you know, grief come over us. Um, so I wonder, has this time with um, the coronavirus, has that brought up anything from the situation with Emma and H1N1? Yeah, absolutely. Especially at the beginning where all they did was try to compare the H1N1. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It really, I had to really stop watching all the headlines and, um, be adamant about, um, you know, sitting with scripture and, you know, going to the promises of God because, um, even though I, I feel that like I'm so far in my faith. Um, I'm human and my yeah. heart is still wounded. That's right. Yeah. I still miss my, my children. Like yeah. I still want another child. Um, yeah. So to say like, once you are healed, like these 
Triggers stop coming. <laughs> right. like, that untrue. That's a lie. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And I, and I've really learned how to pay attention to how I react to mm. things mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because when I react negatively, I know that wound is still tender and I know that God still needs to do some healing. Do some work there. Okay. Do some work. So I've, um, I've been very adamant about paying attention, paying close attention and bringing that to prayer. Okay. And uh, that has helped tremendously. Yeah. Yeah. To just be really in touch with what's going on and being able to then remedy that by saying, okay, God, what, what else do you have me to learn here? So, so how did, I'm guessing, um, and I know a little bit more probably than the listeners do, but so Redbird Ministries is kind of a manifestation of a lot of your life experiences. So can you tell us about that and what it is? Yeah. So Redbird Ministries, we started it here in the Diocese of Lafayette because whenever we lost our children, there was no grief support in our church parish, church parish or diocese, um, really in our community as a whole. We didn't have anything. Um, and I felt abandoned by the church. Um, what I later know now is that, you know, we are supposed to step up. We are the mystical body of Christ. It's not just, you know, when they talk about the 99 and the one, you know, yeah. we always think like our priest or our pastor has to be the one that does all the work. And it's not true. It's not. Cause then you look around and there's hundreds of people beside you. Yes. Right. Yes. Yeah. Good. Great point. Thank you. Yeah. So I, where I felt abandoned and I was yeah. mad, um, it was an invitation yeah. by God. You know, he really told me you go do it. And I was like, wow, I don't want to do it. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay, Kelly, you recognize the need. Then, uh, guess what? It's yeah. so funny because I was just the other day I was doing some writing and I was like, you know, every time looking back that I said, you know, somebody, this, this is really missing. This is really, it was always like something I started. Like, but I think what happens is we feel like this is missing and I want somebody else to do it. (laughs) Right. Yeah. It's so easy to be the one that's in the, uh, that's outside. Right. It's uh, Brene Brown. She's incredible, but she talks about the man in the arena. Yeah. we want to be the spectators telling them oh, yeah. the arena what uh, to do, you know? And <laughs> I told, I was telling my team the other day, I said, I have so embraced that theory or what, whatever it is. I embrace yeah. that because I don't want anyone's <laughs> opinion. I don't want to get I, in the arena. <laughs> I know. It's like watching a horror movie and people get mad and they're like, don't run up the stairs. Like, dude, <laughs> unless you're in this fight with me, don't tell me what to do. Yeah. <laughs> I'm running. Yeah. <laughs> So anyway, Redbird Ministries. Sorry yeah, about that. So we are, yeah. So we are a Catholic grief support ministry, and we call ourselves Pro Life Pro Family for two specific reasons. Because we, um, one of the things that um, those who are grieving do is they hold hostage their fertility, okay. and they um, don't trust God with that again. So we try to embrace. What does that mean to hold hostage your your fertility? Well, because. Um, what happens when you lose, you have a fear of losing again. So they don't want to trust God with the size of their family. So um, they contracept and they sterilize. And okay. a lot of the times, to be honest with you, they regret those decisions. But because mm-hmm. of the fear, 
And this is just from uh, experience for the families that we serve um, who have um, shared that information with us. Mm-hmm. Um, I forgot where I was going with that. Um, but <laughs> but well, we, you said we hold hostage. Or for, you, yeah, you said so, we're pro-life and pro-family for two reasons. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, um, and another, um, of course, being pro-life, uh, you know, to be Christian is to be pro-life. Um, we just really embrace that because when God, when, when we learn how to invite God back into all the spaces of our heart, we have to trust and surrender it all to him. And it is scary sometimes, but it's what he asks of us to surrender it to him. Well, you know, it's interesting because when you use that term, I actually, I just did a solo podcast episode on, how little control we have over basically everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but how we hold hostage a lot of our areas, we hold hostage, oh, yeah. uh, you know, our finances, mm-hmm. right? Oh, I, I better not tithe or I better not give because then I won't be able to pay my electric bill or whatever it is, right? And 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 look, to be very clear, we are not judging any of this. We are just talking about it, shedding some light and some truth on it. And I think just holding hostage, like, um, our relationship happiness. Yeah. Like we could feel like God doesn't want us to be with somebody, but we're like, Oh, but if I don't, then I'm going to be alone. So I have to take matters into my own hands, God. Okay. Yeah. 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 And and everything I'm telling you is stuff that I suffered with myself. So I had to, you know, to, to open those doors. And I still sometimes like, um, I feel like I'm doing a dance with God, you mm-hmm. know, where mm-hmm. I trust and then I'm triggered and yes. I'm suffering. And like, you know, I like, even with trying to get pregnant, like it doesn't happen for me. Yeah. Um, and then some days I'm like, but what if it does? Like, what if it does? Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not, like you said, I'm not judging and I'm not, I'm just sharing that most people yeah. who have, who come to help our help, they regret some of those decisions mm-hmm. because it, it, um, it hurts their heart, you yeah. know, you know, yeah. cause you, you realize one day is that God has a plan for you all alone mm-hmm. and it takes cooperation with us. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it takes our cooperate cooperation with God and mm-hmm. trying to control, um, certain situations. is not what's always best for us. Yeah. Oh Yeah. Oh yeah, and our and our cooperation is not like you know tit for tat. Our cooperation is okay. You got this. I don't. What's next? Yeah. That's our yeah. cooperation. Yeah, right. It takes a lot of like. I have to really be uh, get, without any other options. Sometimes yeah. Give it yeah. Up to God. So yeah. Right. Um. But at the heart of it, we this is what we help families with because okay. these are the struggles that they suffer from. So they suffer from their marriage. Yeah. Um, a lot of the times that is their fertility. You have one um, um, one spouse that wants to do NFP, one spouse that doesn't. Um, I'm not certified in NFP. Um, so we just share our own story um, about um, our struggle. And so does all the other families. Um, 
So is it individual work? Is it group work? Is it instructional materials? What, what does it look like? It's kind of all of that. So mm-hmm. basically when we started it out, we started out with a couple's grieving workshop. So where we have two speakers and we share stories and then we group together losses. Mm-hmm. Um, so one speaker, the group of loss, um, they share discussion questions. We do a break, another speaker, and we kind of end our day with uh with mass. And then for after we after we did the couples workshop, we started monthly support group meetings. Okay. So, and those are for either you can come as a couple or you could come as an individual. Mm-hmm. And it kind of morphed into something bigger than we had ever anticipated because mm-hmm. we felt that um, grief support is not really received by the um, the world as a whole, you know, no one really wants to talk about death and dying. Right. And so people just don't know what to do with it. And I think a lot of the times, like people like me, you just left to figure things out on your own. On your own. Yep. And it's, um, yeah. So thanks for bringing light to that. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that's why I suffered a lot longer than Mm -hmm. I, um, I should have. Yeah. Um, but during this, just, just kind of like God just revealing things to us, we decided that we were going to try to duplicate our efforts. So I wrote um, this program for the support group and we've been piloting it. It's on the passion of Christ. So it's finding your story in Jesus's story, which mm-hmm. I never thought that was ever possible. And um, I started um, during one Lent, just really diving in to the passion on all the accounts and really studying scripture word for word and um, trying to find my place in each of these moments, um, you know, starting in the agony of the, of the garden. And so going through. And when I was done, um, Jesus had revealed 10 things to me. So 10 sessions. Mm-hmm. And we are... Um, we are taking these and we are um, creating it for other, you know, other areas of the country to bring it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That was going to be my question is so, you know, for the, for the women listening, two things really, um, is it, is it, um, you know, who, who's your, who's your ideal person that can benefit from what you guys offer and where are they? Like, is it just um, infant or young child loss? You know, what, what are the parameters there for the people that you serve? Yeah, so we serve any child uh, of loss uh, from miscarriage to adulthood. The oldest um, family that we served, she lost her 46-year-old son to Mm. cancer. Mm. Mm. Oh, that's beautiful. As long as the parents are um, alive. Mm Mm-hmm. We serve the family. Okay. Um, and we, it's more an accompaniment. Um, we do have counselors that um, help us, but um, mainly our resources are an accompaniment. So it's to like if they were to get traditional therapy or something like that, this would well, be an enhancement to that. Well, basically, to we, what we say from someone doing nothing to traditional therapy, we want to try to fill in that gap because Got a lot it. of the times people do nothing. Understood. Yep. And it's, it's, it's hard for them. Um, another thing that we found is that um, there, because of the stigma and the judgment that's associated with grief, people are un- unwilling to do this 
or to take that step to do any type of grief support, whether it is to um, seek counseling or it is to go to a support group. Um, so this, we are creating this online community and mm, right now wonderful. we're just, we're developing it and, um, we're also going to be doing courses. So mm-hmm. again, courses are kind of like the support group manual. It's made to bring people to, it's kind of, I would probably have to describe it as a, a cross between, uh, a Bible study mm-hmm. and, um, I guess like a prayer reflection, Mm -hmm. Um, but it does address the four aspects of grief, which is the emotional, the psychological, the relational and the spiritual. Okay. Um, We do, we have had counselors put their eyes on it and we've had um, spiritual directors put their eyes to make sure that it leads the person to where you want them to go. Um, Have you ever had anybody that's not of faith um, mm -hmm. reach out to Redbird? Yeah, we have. Um, and a lot of the, t- well, of no faith are very angry at God. Yes. Okay. All right. Yeah. And, different and, you, can, and you can serve them. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Good. And we don't just serve Catholics. Um, that's just the theology that we stand on. We serve okay. all denominations. We've had all denominations come okay. to our support group. Okay. Yeah. And eventually that will be part of our online. Um, we will have an ecumenical, um, which will be all faith based um, type of support okay. manual. Um, but for now, we're we're starting to not to overwhelm ourselves. We're the first initiative we're doing is child loss. Okay. But it'll start it'll start to build to where we'll do like grandparents mm. um, for, for a grandparent who lost a grandchild. Yes. Got it. Oh, that's beautiful. What what an untapped market for sure. Yeah. That's yeah. that's wonderful. And I I use the word market, but y'all know what I mean. I'm not yeah. heartless. Um <laughs> so well, it's, a missing, it's a missing uh touch for evangelization because yeah, yeah. grief is the invitation, but mm-hmm. we are actually introducing them to the real person of Jesus Christ. So that's where because we cannot heal people. Mm-hmm. Only Jesus can. That's and right. that's kind of how, you know, yeah, how we lead them. I love that. It's beautiful. Tell me quickly, Kelly, why Redbird? Why the, why the name Redbird? Yeah. So remember I was telling you my friend who her daughter died. Yes. Uh, her name was Isley. Mm-hmm. And um, her my friend's first cousins um, have a little band and they're called Sweet Cecilia. Okay. You can look them up on YouTube. And the song they wrote that mentions Isley is called Redbird Flies. Okay. And it, it talks about, I think of you when the redbird flies. Uh, so it's just a way to remember and honor and love those that we've lost. Um, love it. I so. love that. Do you have anything like, do you have little redbird stuff around your house or? Yes, yeah. I do. I do not in this room to show you, but yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. So what's the best way um, for parents who have lost a child, either uh, infant in utero or all the way up to an adult child? What's the best way for them to access you and your services? Yes, absolutely. So our website is www.redbird.love. Okay. Um, and there is a ton of information on there that they okay. can, you know, dive in, look around. Um, the yeah, you have a really beautiful video on there too. I love that. 
Thank you. Mm-hmm. The, um, the online community is not going to be released. We're still trying to build it. So it's, it's going to okay. take a little time to do that. So, but in the future, you can always register or uh, subscribe to get the updates. Okay. Um, and I also want to plug my book if I can. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So after, uh, after my healing um, and really understanding what God did to me, I wrote a book on my journey and it's called Hiding in the Upper Room. Okay. Um, and I named it Hiding in the Upper Room because in John, when Jesus entered um, the upper room, when the disciples, after the passion, when the deci- disciples were hiding in fear, mm-hmm. um, he entered and he said peace and he showed his wounds. Hmm. And although it was, you know, I've always associated that with doubting Thomas, like, yeah, I'm Jesus, here's my wounds. Um, but in actuality, he offered his peace and he showed his wounds as an invitation for us to show ours. Hmm. And so it was written hmm. really on that whole idea um, that we can't help others um, if we're not first vulnerable and That's show right. our wounds. Say that girl. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 that is 100% truth. You know, I've said before, like I, people don't connect with people who have done it. They connect with people who are doing it. Yes. Right. And if you ever claim to have done it, <laughs> then you're, that's not the person I want to follow. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I would always tell everybody, I am not interested in learning like the, like, the, like from the intellectual aspect of yeah. it, you yeah. know, like I want to, I want someone who, like you said, is yeah. doing it, doing the witness, it. Yes. The witness. Yeah. I need, I need to see the heart. Yes. Yeah. The mind is beautiful, but the heart, the heart, the heart is, heart. the heart is what connects. I mean, that's why, you know, um, I don't know. What are some, some of those like commercials that connect with your heart? Like the, like the, uh, is it all state? Like they had a, uh, they had a commercial where it was like, you would envision like kids in the middle of the road and the people are driving. And do you remember that commercial? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> oh my goodness. It was just like, but like, so if you've ever cried at an insurance commercial, Mm-hmm. That's what we're talking about. Exactly, yeah. Making the making the emotional connection, right? Yeah, not the intellectual one for sure. Right. Yeah. Awesome. Kelly, we are um coming to the close of the show today. And I'm just so grateful for you sharing your heart. I know that you have so much more to offer. And I would encourage everybody listening to check out redbird.love. I love that. We'll include the link in the show notes and any social media links as well. We'll include. Um, and before we close out though, I ask every guest, Kelly, this one thing to tell us at the end to close us out. If there is one truth that you would have the women listening to remember and never forget after this conversation ends, what would that be? I would tell everyone to never to miss the opportunity for someone who is trying to help. Never. Because when you open your heart, God works with that. Um, the biggest mistake that I did was to close my heart off to everyone. Mm. And that I really, I paid a price for that. And it was my own, um, it was my own darkness. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, it wasn't, it didn't protect me like I thought it was going to do. It actually, it actually backfired and it hurt me tremendously. So, yeah. if, so. You feel, if you feel like God is speaking to you right now mm-hmm. to 
to go and find this information, like embrace that. Go do it. Go do it. Don't say no to the opportunity. Absolutely. Love it. What a lovely soul is Kelly Bro. I'm just so delighted, literally delighted, y'all. I am getting to meet so many incredible women, Kelly included. Hey, listen, if there's somebody that you know that you're thinking, man, Dr. Sherry's got to have her on the show, introduce me, right? Send me a message. Send me an email at drsherryspeaks at gmail.com. Just say, hey, I've got somebody that I'd love for you to interview for the podcast. I promise at the very least, I will have a conversation and see if it's a good fit for the show. So I thank you for thinking of me and keeping me in mind when you run across incredible people and their stories that need to be heard by women worldwide. Hey, listen, go reach out to Kelly, connect with her on Facebook. Definitely click the link in the show notes for Redbird Ministries. Check out the work that she's doing in Louisiana. And I'm sure this is soon to spread like wildfire. And watch that introductory video she's got on the website. Your heart will be touched. It's very beautiful. Thank you again, Kelly, for agreeing to be on the show. And hey, a special shout out to my friend Derek Kretzer again for providing the music for season two of Thriving Thoughts Podcast. And one more time, if you'd like to sign up for text messages straight from me, all you have to do is text the word THRIVE to 540-369-2139. And until next week, friends, remember to speak truth over the lies so you can thrive in any and every circumstance.